We've been studying in the book of Matthew about uh, the life of Christ as, as Matthew presents Jesus as the King of the Jews, as Messiah, and he gives evidence to, to prove that Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. And, and we have watched the life of Christ as the King of the Jews has come, and, and he's been rejected of the religious leaders. He's, he's been uh, rejected by many of the people, and, and now he's, he's somewhat withdrawn himself, and he's just giving some instruction to his disciples. We come to Matthew chapter 16 where we'll find ourselves looking today in Matthew 16. Last week we talked about how Jesus Jesus told his disciples that he would build his church. He gave them uh, he gave them his vision so to speak. On on the the at the first of January, I I kind of laid out a, a bit of uh, our vision for this year, our plan for this year, our goals for this year, and and some of the focus and direction of of the messages and the Bible studies and things like that for this year. And it's it's all to encourage us to be bold in our faith, to be bold in our witness, and bold in our Christian lives. Not rude, but bold. Not ashamed. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And we want to follow that example. We want to be bold. And and as as we learn more about Christ, the more bold we'll have a tendency to be. And so we want to we want to look at the scriptures today and and see, see some things that we can be bold about as as we as we learn of Christ, we saw last week that Jesus said, I'll build my church. And, and, we, and Jesus is putting together his church. The church is built on Jesus. He's that rock upon which the church is built. Not on man, not on Peter, not on any, any other person. The church is built on Jesus Christ. And not only is it built on him, but it's built by him. He's the one doing the work, putting the church together. And he uses us. In his work. And he does his work through us. And he wants to use you and me to fulfill his plan. Amen. But in order to do that, we, we must, in our lives, we must come to the place, spiritually speaking, where we approach three crosses. Three crosses that are needful in your life. Three crosses that will make a difference in your life for, uh, well, for eternity. The first cross that we see, Jesus tells about it here in Matthew chapter 16. Look down at verse 21. He says, from that time forth, Jesus began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem. And suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Jesus began to tell his disciples, he said, he had just told them, I will build my church and, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, he, and, and he, he begins to tell them, this is how it's going to happen. First, I've got to go to Jerusalem. In order for the church to exist, in order for my church to be built, I must go to Jerusalem. I must go to Jerusalem and I must suffer many things at the hand of the the elders. I must. And as we study the scriptures, we find that that, that suffering many things at the hands of the, the, the elders there, uh, suffering many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, that that, that, that meant that he was arrested and, and he was beaten with a, with a cat of nine tails. His body was literally ripped to shreds. He, he gave himself to be, to be a lamb, uh, the, the lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. The Bible says he came as a, as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. He was beaten unmercifully. He was, he was blindfolded and they'd spit in his face and, and they'd punch him and slap him and say, if you are the Son of God, tell us who hit you. 
but he opened not his mouth. Not because he couldn't tell them. Because he knew who they were. And he knew that they were, they were doing what lost people do. They're doing what unsaved people do. You know, as Christians, it shouldn't, it shouldn't baffle us when unbelievers live like unbelievers. It shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't confuse us and, and worry us and make us angry when unbelievers live like unbelievers. The problem comes when we try to cram them into our mold or we try to fit into theirs. Jesus didn't stop the, the Roman soldiers. He didn't stop the Jews from beating him because he knew that was his purpose. He came to do the will of his father. And the will of his father was that he would give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Because see, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Many churches today and many denominations try to remove, uh, remove the blood from their, from their songs and from their, uh, from their uh, messages. But without the blood, you don't have salvation. Without the, the Lamb of God shedding His blood to wash away our sins, you don't have salvation. So Jesus gave Himself, He gave His cheeks to the smiters. And those that would pluck off the hair. They ripped his beard out of his face. They laid a cross on his back and he carried that cross to the place called Golgotha. Where they laid the cross down and he stretched out his hands and allowed those those soldiers to drive nails through his hands and through his feet. And they set the cross in place and, and every bone came out of joint. And he hung there, suspended between heaven and earth, suffering in agony for me and you. And as he hung there, he listened to the mockery, he listened to the jeers, he listened to the the cursing and the blasphemy from the crowd around him. And all he said was, in response to them, was, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, Jesus died on this cross. The cross of salvation. Jesus gave himself on this cross so that you and I could be set free from our sin. But dying wasn't all that was in the story. He said he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And he did die. He yielded up the ghost. But notice it says in verse 21, and be raised again the third day. I'm glad that Jesus didn't stay dead. A few weeks ago on Easter, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the peace that gives us, the assurance that gives us, the the confidence that that gives us in our salvation. I'm glad, I'm glad for this cross. Oh, it cost our Savior everything, so it can cost us for salvation. It cost us nothing. Aren't you glad of that? You see, the the price for our salvation was so high that Jesus Christ is the only one that could pay that price. And Jesus died on the cross so that we could be saved. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. 
John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, in your, in your, in your life, uh, in, order, in order for you to spend eternity with Christ, you must come to this cross of salvation. You must come to this cross uh, where, where you can be set free from sin and not, and not put, try to put yourself on the cross. So many have tried to pay for their own sins. So many have tried to, to earn favor with God. And, and sadly, many, many people through the years, I believe most of the time I've heard of it happening like in, the, in places like the Philippines and, and other areas around the world like that. People will, people will literally take a cross and, and drag it through a, a large crowd and, and go to a place where, uh, where they'll have someone to drive nails through their hands and through their feet and, and hang them up there uh, in front of everybody uh, to suffer and, and, and to, to uh, hang there in agony. And they think that they're earning favor with God. But they're just hurting for no reason. Because it doesn't earn favor with God. It doesn't bring you into favor with God to afflict yourself because of your sin. See, there was only one sacrifice acceptable unto God. And that was the sinless, the sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Jesus died on the cross so that you and I can come to this cross of salvation and, and we can bow and, and before Jesus and we can trust the price that He paid to be sufficient to wash away our sins. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can't pay for your sins because of your sin. I can't pay for my sin because of my sin. No man can pay for our sins because man is sinful. But Jesus Christ, the God-man, was able to pay because, because He was a sinless man. But He's the God-man. He's 100% God and 100% man. And He gave Himself to remove our sins. Make it just as if we had never, ever sinned, justified before God. The Bible tells us that God commendeth His love toward us. He demonstrated His love to me and you in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't, he didn't wait until we cleaned up our act. He didn't wait until we improved our, our habits and, and, and things in our life. He gave Himself while we were still in our sin. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, He paid the price to purchase eternal life for me and you so He could give it to us as a free gift. As a gift, He would give it freely. A gift can only be received or rejected and Jesus offers it to us and wants you to receive it. How do we receive it? He tells us in, first, he tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, He says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. That tells us that God is no respecter of persons. He's not going to choose to save one group and choose to send another group to hell. People say, well, I don't believe that a, that a loving God will send anybody to hell. See, God doesn't send us to hell. God made a way so we didn't have to go to hell. But if we reject that way, we send ourselves to hell. We sentence ourselves to hell because God has provided an escape. God has provided salvation. God has provided forgiveness so that nobody has to go to hell. But man in our rebellion, man in our religious pride will reject the gift of God. Will say, Jesus, I'm glad that you died on the cross, but I'm sure there's something that I can do. And when we try... To be good enough, that's exactly what we're saying to Jesus who died for us. 
When religion tells you that you can be faithful to church and, and read your Bible and that you can, uh, and you can say these prayers and you can give these uh, gifts and you can uh, give to the poor and you can serve in this way and that way and earn favor with God and God will give you salvation because of it. Hey, that is spitting in the face of a God who died for you. That's saying, I didn't need you to die for me, Jesus. I've got this. But we did need him to die because we can't earn his favor. But Jesus died so you don't have to. He died on the cross of, of salvation for me and you so that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I wonder this morning, have you called on the name of the Lord? For salvation. Have you trusted him alone. For your salvation. Or are you trying to. Earn it some way. Do you believe that by your baptism. That you're saved. Or do you believe that by your good works. Or, or that, that you're just born saved. No. Nobody's born saved. But we are born again saved. Amen. You must be born again. There must be a time in your life. When you come to the cross of salvation. And let the blood of Jesus Christ wash your sin away. Jesus died on this cross so you don't have to. So you don't have to die eternally. Takeaway number one, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross of Calvary completely paid the price for our eternal life. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that his, his sacrifice completely paid the price for our salvation. But after you've come to this cross and you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and you've, you've received that gift of eternal life and, and yielded yourself to, to God's will allowing the, the price that Jesus paid to wash away your sins. come to another cross we come to another cross and and on this cross we need to put ourselves Jesus died on the cross of salvation for me and you but in our in our spiritual lives you and I need to put ourselves on this next cross it's a cross of surrender it's a cross of surrender, surrendering your will, surrendering your, your desires, surrendering your goals for, uh, for the cause of Christ. Jesus said that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the, the elders and of the chief priests and of the scribes. And, and, and he, he must be killed and, and rise again the third day. The Bible says, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Jesus tells him what he's about to do, what he has to do to purchase the church, to, to pay the price for the church. And, and Peter, Peter takes him and he says, he says, no, what are you thinking? You're Messiah. You just ask, who do we say that you are? And I told you that you're the son of the living God. And, and you said that I was right. And, and you said that you're going to build your church. How can you let them kill you? Peter takes him and, and he rebukes Jesus. He got some things mixed up in his mind between his confession of who Jesus is and his rebuking of Jesus. Far be it from us to rebuke God. Amen? But, but Peter, Peter took Jesus and began to rebuke him. Saying, Lord, this shall not be. This shall not be unto thee. He said, he said no, this can't happen to you. You can't die. You can't go to Jerusalem and be killed. No, we can't let this happen. 
Peter, in his zeal for Christ, in his zeal for, for what he thought was the plan, took upon himself to rebuke the Lord, but Jesus revealed to Peter what his motivation was. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter had been had grown up there in Israel hearing that Messiah was going to come and Messiah was going to be their deliverer and, and Messiah was going to, to, to break the, 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 whole, the stranglehold that their enemy had upon them. And in his, his Jewish mind, he thought that that, of course, meant the Romans and that Messiah was going to deliver them from the Romans. And so when Jesus said, I'm going to go and be killed, Peter's like, no, nah, you can't be killed. Messiah can't be killed. But if Israel had just read the book of Daniel, they would have known that Messiah was going to be cut off from his people. Peter had temporal values. Peter was focused on earthly things. Peter was focused on an earthly kingdom, a, a temporary kingdom. Peter was focused on the, on the here and now. He was not focused on the plan of God. He was not, he was not thinking in a way that was, that was yielded to the will of God and the Spirit of God. He was following his, he was following his heart. He was following what he wanted to happen. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. He said, you're, you're, you are opposing God right now. You are siding with Satan to try to keep me from going to the cross. You, you do not savor, you do not value, you do not uphold and esteem highly those things that be of God. He said, but what's most important to you is the things of men. You're wanting me to go to Jerusalem and set up my kingdom right now. You want me to go and, and, and to take over so you can have some, uh, some uh, position of esteem and some p- position of authority. He said, you are self-focused, Peter. Get thee behind me. You're an offense unto me. Many times we'll come to Jesus for our salvation and, and we, get what, we get what He has to offer to us and, and praise God for that. But for some reason, uh, for some reason many times in, in short order, we get our eye, we're, we're, we've been so excited about Jesus setting us free from sin, but we get our eyes off of Jesus and off of His plans and off of His goals and, and we get our eyes back on ourselves and back on this world and the things around us and we, we, begin, to, we begin to set our affection on things of this earth. We fall in love with the here and now. We fall in love with, with, uh, with pride and, and prestige and possessions and, and we love what's going on around us. We enjoy this world. We, get, we hold on to the things of this world. Jesus continues to talk to Peter and his disciples. And he said, if any man will come after me. He's talking to his disciples. Those that have given, given up their, their lives for three years. Three to three and a half years. Uh, for, to follow him. And, and he, he looks at them. And he says, if any man will come after me. I guess they've they've been following for about two, maybe two and a half years at this point. He said, if any man will come after me, let him do what? Deny who? Himself. That's one of the hardest things we'll ever do, is deny ourselves. It's hard to tell yourself no. No. Yesterday we had, 
we had the men's prayer breakfast at the house at my house and had a good group of men there almost a dozen men gathered together and and uh, and we ate we ate biscuits and gravy and sausage and bacon and eggs and coffee and orange juice and and whatever else uh, grits and oh it was good amen, amen. I've already had an invitation to do it again, all right? <laughs> and, uh, but uh, uh, it, was a, it was a good time. And we were talking about uh, after, after the, the breakfast, we gathered in the living room there and sang a little while. And, and what, a, what a wonderful time that was. And just praising the Lord for His amazing grace. And then, and then I took a few minutes to challenge the men uh, in an area that, that affects every one of us. Temptation. Overcoming temptation, temptation to be prideful, temptation to be greedy and, and to, uh, to be dishonest, temptation to lust, temptation for whatever it is. And I, I told the men, I, I, said, I said, you know, uh, just because an opportunity presents itself doesn't mean you have, to, you have to give in to that opportunity and the temptation. I was very grateful that those who were at the beginning of the, of the food line didn't give in to temptation and take all the bacon and sausage, right? We're very grateful for that. So those later on had the opportunity to get some. Uh, and, and many times we seek for the things of this world. We want what we want. And this world tells you if you want it, then why not? Just please yourself. You are really all that matters. That's what the world will tell you. This society and and this this generation in which we live, uh, basically it says, please yourself. You know, we, when, I, when, I, when I was a kid growing up, and many of you remember a day and time when, when we were raised to respect others. And to try not to be an offense to others, but, but, to, but to live our lives and to let them live theirs, right? But now, we live in a time when it's not let them live theirs, it's you have to live your life the way that pleases me. Because if you don't do everything in a way that pleases me, I'm triggered. Right? And I'm going to get upset and I'm going to be offended and I'm going to need to pet a pony. Right? That's such a self-focus. But Peter was doing the same thing. And we have a tendency to do the same thing. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself let him say no to himself you know what that might mean that might mean getting up a little earlier than you typically would want to get up to go and serve in some way that might mean uh, taking out of your busy schedule to devote some time to help a brother or sister in Christ grow in their Christian life it might mean to tell yourself no because uh, to, to, uh, that, that you're not going to do some things that, that those things might not be wrong, but it might keep you from doing what's best. In Hebrews, the Bible says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Weights aren't necessarily sin. But there are things that hold us back from running the race that God has set before us. There are things that, that might, they might be okay. They might not be in and of themselves sinful. But if they prevent you from doing what God desires for you to do, it becomes an idol and it does become a sin. So let's put those things away. Let's deny ourselves. You know, we... We've been given the, the job of, uh, and the responsibility of taking the gospel to a lost and dying world. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And we're to take this treasure and share it everywhere we go. And it's our responsibility to make sure this message gets around the world. I might need to tell myself no and cut back on maybe a Starbucks a week so I can, uh, so I can give some 
money to missions? Amen? I might need to cut back here and there so I can, so I can uh, do more for the cause of Christ. Maybe, maybe uh, not be involved in, in, this, in this activity or not be involved in that group so I can be involved in taking the gospel to my community. Maybe I, maybe I, I need to uh, turn the TV off. And gather the family around and, and read the Bible and pray and teach my children the things that God's Word says. Oh, but I like that show. You know they've got an amazing thing called the internet where you can watch stuff. <laughs> we ought to discipline ourselves. We ought to discipline ourselves and, and discipline our schedule so that our family is taught the Word of God. And so that our family, our family uh, learns, to, uh, learns to fall in love with Jesus. Maybe we should deny ourselves some things. Maybe we should deny ourselves and, and do like Philippians says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, in American history, we, we, uh, we praise uh, men like Nathan Hale that, that uh, gave, gave his life. Uh, and, and, he, and he said, his, his last words were, I regret that I have but one life to give for my country. And we're like, whoa, what a, what a patriot. What a wonderful American hero. We're all excited about that. We have in, in Washington, D.C., in many places around our country, we have monuments set up to, to honor those who have, who have fallen in battle and gave their lives for freedom. But what about the one who gave his life for us? Can we honor him who died for us? By giving our lives to live for Him? Can we come to this cross of surrender and put ourselves on this cross and die to ourselves? Die to the things of this world? Die to the allurements of the flesh? Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his, my, lose his life for my sake shall find it. He said, look, if, if you are trying to, if you're trying to look out for yourself and, and, and uh, giving yourself for self-preservation, if that's your focus, you've lost it. Oh, you'll go to heaven. But there's no reward. There's no blessing. You've lost it. But if you'll give your life, if you'll give your life to Jesus Christ, if you'll, if you'll yield yourself, your will, your, your uh, choices, your desires, if you'll set your, your goals uh, aside and, and give yourself to, to fulfill God's goal for your life, You'll find a life that is so fulfilling. You'll find a life that's so full of joy. You'll find a life that's thrilling. And you'll, and you'll be glad that you did when you stand before God. 
Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Many times a prosperity gospel preacher will tell you that when, when he says seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added, that means you'll have a fat bank account and you'll have a, a, a nice watch and you'll have a, a fancy car and a big house and all these possessions. But that's not what he said. If you read Matthew 6, you'll find that he promised to give you clothes and food and some to drink. Amen? And that's all you need to live. He said he'll take care of your necessities. But you know what I found? I found when I yield myself to God and and I've surrendered myself to Him and I try to follow His his plan and I dedicate myself and discipline myself to follow the Lord that He does more than just give me food and clothes and some to drink. He blesses me far more than I can imagine. Sometimes He blesses by giving us opportunities to reflect Him. Sometimes He blesses a believer with an opportunity to to show the love of Christ. I read the the testimony and listened to the the message of of a, a, a preacher by the name of Joseph Tson. I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly. T-S-O-N. He's from Romania. And he, and he told about being locked away in prison for preaching the gospel. Under that communist re- regime there, he was locked away in prison and they would come and beat him and, and, and tell him, I renounce Christ and we'll let you go. He said, I can't. And one day, he was brought into the, into the, the room there for his beating and the officer came in and was rolling up his sleeves, getting ready. And Pastor Tson looked at him and said, Sir, before you get started, he said, I need to tell you, I'm sorry. He said, What? He said, I want to tell you, I'm sorry. He said, Last week when you were beating me the way that you were, he said, I was crying out and begging you to stop. He said, I didn't even realize that it was the week of Easter. He said, I should have thanked you. I should have thanked you for letting me suffer in the week that we celebrate my Savior's suffering. We might think, boy, that's crazy. That's some other kind of mindset. That's a surrendered life. That's someone that has said, Lord, I want your will, not mine. That's someone who, who understood the value of, of putting themselves on the cross of surrender. And like the apostles in the book of Acts, they rejoiced, they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Jim Elliott, a missionary in South America, said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, this life is only temporary. You can live to be the oldest person alive, but you're still going to die unless Jesus comes back first. And in comparison to eternity, even if you live, live to be the longest person ever, to be the oldest person ever. Nearly a thousand years you'd have to live. But in comparison to eternity, that's nothing. Jim Elliot realized that and he said, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. And he gave his life to go to South America to be a missionary. And and he he took his family there. And along with several other missionary families, they began to reach out into the villages and tribes around them. And they heard about a tribe of of people who who were vicious and cruel. And they were cannibals. And Jim and... Nate, uh, Nate Saint and some of the others that were, that were there with them, they said, we've got to go reach these people. 
They began to reach out to them and try to try to uh, build a, a, a relationship with them a little bit just by making contact. And, and they would take an airplane and fly it over. And, and, and uh, the, the pilot had, had trained himself to fly the airplane in tight circles so they could lower a basket down and the basket would pretty much stay in place. And they would lower a basket down with some, with some gifts and maybe some food and different things like that to give to the, to the Alka people and, and uh, just extending kindness and friendship and showing love. And, and after a while, they were giving these gifts. And after a while, some of the Alka people came and put some things back in there. And Jim and his, his friends, his co-workers, his fellow laborers, they looked at that and said, maybe it's time now to make contact to make personal contact. And so the day came, they landed the plane and they got out of the plane and, and went out to, uh, to, to speak to these, uh, these uh, Alkas. And, and as, they, as they began to talk to them, all of a sudden the Alkas got violent and they killed Jim and they killed his team that were there uh, with them ministering. They took their bodies back to the village and, and ate them. Word got back to the missionary camp and, 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 they, and people began to say to Elizabeth and uh, uh, Jim's wife and to the other wives and the other team members there, you need to go back to the States. You need to go back. You need to stop this. Uh, th- it's a dangerous place that you're in. But they said, no, we started to reach these people for Jesus and somebody has to reach them. So Elizabeth and, and the other, Elizabeth Elliott and the others there in their, in their missionary team, they began to continue to reach out and continue to reach out. And the love that they showed the people that came killed their husbands, so ministered to those people, the Alkas, that God worked a miracle and many of them were reached for Christ because Jim realized he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Missionary C.T. Studd had, had wealth and had fame and fortune He was a a professional cricket player in Europe. But he walked away from that to be a missionary to the pagans. C.T. Studd made this statement. He said, some wish to live within the sound of church and chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Jesus is looking for some who will give themselves on the cross of surrender and say, Lord, I want, to, I want to give my life to live for you. You gave your life to give me life. Now I want to live my life to reach others with the gospel. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Romans 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. After all that Jesus has done for us. It's only reasonable for us to put ourselves on the cross of surrender. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 and 20 says what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Wherefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That means give yourself to live for God and don't be a grump about it. Amen. Obey Him not just outwardly, but from the heart. Your spirit being joyful to be, uh, to be counted worthy to serve and even suffer if necessary for the cause of Christ. Look at takeaway number two. Because Jesus sacrificed for our eternal life, we should live our lives in full surrender to His will. Full surrender. Holding nothing back. We realize that we're His. That means our possessions are His. That means the time that we have is His. Our strength, everything belongs to Him. So let's use it for Him. And When we think about what He has done for us, 
And we come to that place of full surrender, yielding ourselves to Him. Then we'll find that it's it's much easier to put ourselves on this third cross. Because this third cross is another cross that we need to get on. We need to die on this third cross as well. It's the cross of sanctification. The cross of sanctification. Jesus Christ has called us to holiness. God commands us to be holy for He is holy. Holiness is not a message that is preached in many churches anymore. Because the mindset is live and enjoy your life and Jesus is okay as long as you say you love Him. But Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And my commandments are not grievous. See, it's, it's, important for us to, to, it's important for us to realize that these three crosses are necessary. And, but the order of these three crosses is also necessary. See, if we try to get the world to put themselves on the cross of sanctification, then they won't see in their, un, in their unregenerate minds the reason and the need for the cross of salvation. Religion has gotten it all twisted around. But it's necessary to come, it's needful for us to come to the cross of salvation upon which Jesus died and then come to the cross of surrender where we yield to Him and say, Lord, whatever you want for my life, uh, that's what I'm willing to do. And that way when we come to the cross of sanctification, He can, he can say, I want you to do this and this and this. And we're saying, hey, whatever you say, Lord. I'm already surrendered, so sanctification, it's a non-issue. I'm willing I give it. Jesus said, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he, reward, he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You know, you can, you can gain... The whole world. You can gain the whole world, but if, but if your, your mindset, your will is hardened against God and it's focused on the things of this earth, it'll affect you. Now, you won't lose your salvation. It's not what this is talking about here. Because we can't lose our salvation. So what is it talking about? The word soul speaks of our ability to choose. It speaks of our mind, will, and emotions. That's what your soul is. And when we begin to choose the things of this earth over the things of God, we put our mind, our will, and our emotions into a trap of the devil. We lose control of it. To where the things of this world have control over us. So that when God says, I want you to live a holy life, you're like, why? And you want to argue with God. But that's, that's not going to be popular. But you know, somebody might not like that. And somebody might make fun of me. And my friends are going to think that I'm a, a, a weirdo. And, and you know, they're going to... So... That's not, that's not the point. The point is, we want to give ourselves. We want to surrender to God. And we want to give ourselves on the cross of sanctification. To die to this world. To die to the things of this world. To die even to ourselves. So that we're reflecting Jesus Christ. Remember, you're not your own, you're bought with a price. We talked about that with the cross of surrender. Because you're bought with a price, everything we do ought to be reflecting Jesus Christ. So in daily decisions, we're going to need to die to self. We're going to need to die to our will for the purpose of sanctification. For the purpose of reflecting Jesus Christ. 
being distinct in our Christian lives. Reflecting Jesus clearly. He said, the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels. Then shall He reward every man according to His works. See, the things that we do are important. While the things we do cannot earn our salvation, after our salvation, the things that we do are important. So we want to make sure that the things that we do are to the glory of God. Revelation 4.11 says that we were created, all things were created by Him and for Him, and for His pleasure they were created. That means us. So everything we do ought to be to the glory of God. It ought to be to please God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 through 8 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. What he's saying here is, if you're saved, if you're a child of God, if you have, have uh, been saved, you're dead in trespasses and sins, but you're alive unto God, you are risen with Christ, then seek those things which are above. Seek eternal and heavenly things. Give yourself passionately to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you're, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear. Notice that when Christ who is our life, he's not just the main part of our life, he's not just the focus of our life, he's not just the priority of our life, but he is our life. If you're risen with Christ, if you are a child of God, if you've been born again, you are not living your life. Your life is Jesus Christ's. He is our life. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. So how do we do this? How do we set our affection on things above, not on things of the earth? How do we put ourselves, uh, how do we uh, live a life that is saying, this is not Philip Jones's life, this is Christ's life. I don't want to live the, a life that reflects, that reflects Philip Jones. I want, to reflect, I want to reflect Jesus with my life. How do I do that? How do you do that? He says here, mortify. You know what mortify means? It means kill it. Now it doesn't mean go jump off Colorado Bridge over here. It doesn't mean kill yourself. No, that's, it's not encouraging suicide. Nothing like that. That's... Uh, it, And I'm not saying that jokingly. I'm serious about that. That's a serious matter. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. The things that we've we've given ourselves to, the things that we have allowed to be a part of our life for so long, now that we're saved, now that we're a child of God, now that we're risen with Christ, we need to kill some things in our life. What do we need to kill? Fornication. Kill it. Any kind of uh, any kind of uh, of uh, immorality like that. Any kind of uh, interaction uh, of this nature. I'm trying to be careful because there are some children in here this morning. Amen. But adults, you understand what I'm talking about. Hey, this stuff. Kill it in your life. Be dead to it. Let it be dead to you. It's not even a part of our life. It might have been part of your past. But leave the past in the past. And realize that that past has no more power over you. Because Jesus Christ has saved you. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But He has made you alive. He set you free from those things. Hey, let those things be dead. Fornication. Uncleanness. It's talking about spiritual uncleanness, wicked living, immoral lifestyles, perverseness. Hey, kill it. Inordinate affection. 
Hey, guys, if you, lo- if, if, you love, if you love an activity more than you love spending time with your wife, that's an inordinate affection. If you love hanging out with the guys more than you love taking your wife on a date, you got problems. Amen? It's an inordinate affection. <laughs> it needs to be fixed. Kill it. Evil concupiscence, notice this, and covetousness. Covetousness. Desiring those things that God has not provided for you or allowed you to have. Covetousness. It's idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. He said, that's the way you used to live. Those are the, the things you used to do. But you don't do those anymore because you're saved. But now ye also put off all these. All right? Hey, we, we were feeling pretty good because, hey, we're not, we're, not in, we're not in fornication or covetousness. And we're not doing all those kinds of things. We're not in, having inordinate affection or, or anything like that. So, hey, we're pretty good. Well, uh, hey, here's another list. Anger. Oh, goodness. Wrath. Malice. Blasphemy. Notice this one. Filthy communication out of your mouth we shouldn't talk dirty right shouldn't use language that is displeasing to God we shouldn't say cuss words even if you're telling what somebody else said It's never right to do wrong. And if, and if you say, well, you know, it's, it's just such a habit. Hey, God is, in the, God is in the business of freeing you from sinful habits. You need to die to those. You, you, need, to, you need to kill cussing. Amen? Too, too many people call themselves Christians and go around cussing. That's not Christ-like. Jesus did not use perverse language. You're like, well, I don't, I don't use the really bad ones. If you cuss, you cuss. And it's wrong. You ought not let that come out of your mouth. You, ne- you need to... You need to Ask God to, to cleanse your mouth and to cleanse your tongue and to, and to purge your vocabulary of those words. Because here's the thing, you call yourself a Christian and use those words, that's no, uh, there is no excuse for that. Other than you just want to cuss. And you don't want to change. Unless, all right, here, I'm going to give a little, a little disclaimer here. Unless this is the first time you're hearing that, that, that cussing's wrong. But I've got a pretty good feeling that just about everybody in here knows that cussing's wrong, right? Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, don't cuss. Don't tell dirty jokes. No matter how funny they are. Hey, I'll tell you, there's some funny ones. But it ought not come out of the mouth of a child of God. And if somebody's telling one, you need to remove yourself or begin singing Amazing Grace or something like that. Amen? Because because you don't want to be caught laughing at it. Because here's what they're going to do. They're going to point at you. And they're going to say, Oh, that Christian. Yeah. They laugh at this stuff. Filthy communication out of your mouth. We ought to kill those things in our lives. We ought not let it. Why? Because we're risen with Christ. Because you're a child of God. Because you're not dead in your trespasses and sins. You're alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
We, need, we are called to holiness. We're called to sanctification. So uh, because we're saved, because Jesus paid the price for our salvation, we gladly surrender our lives to Him. Come what may, whatever that means, we surrender our lives to Him. And He calls us to holiness, so I must die to myself. I must die to the things of this world. And I say, Lord Jesus, here, take me, cleanse me, kill the sin in me. And He'll do it. As I yield to Him. And as you yield to Him. Galatians 2.20 Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm crucified with Christ. See, Christ not only died for me, but He died in my place. He died as me. But with His dying on the cross... I don't, I don't want him to be the one to, I don't want him to suffer for me and, it, and me just enjoy all the blessings and everything. Hey, it's wonderful and there are plenty of blessings, but there are things that I can sacrifice. There are things that I can yield to him. There's, there are deaths that I can die for him and I can die to myself. I can die to this world. I can die to my will. I can die to the allurements of, this, of, of society and I can die on the cross of surrender and I can die on the cross of sanctification. I'm crucified with Christ. It's important for there to be these three crosses in your, in your life. It will make a difference in your eternity. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm alive. And if, if surrender and sanctification means that, means that it, it costs me this life this life here on this earth I'm still alive because nobody can take away my eternal life right I'm crucified with Christ nevertheless I live God is allowing me to live and to and he allows you to live to reflect Jesus Christ I'm crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you willing to say, not I, but Christ? When you go to work tomorrow, are you willing to reflect Jesus Christ? And let people wonder at the gracious words that proceed out of your mouth. (laughs) Like they did with Jesus. Are you willing to to surrender to Jesus and, and let Him live His life through you? Yielding yourself to Him for Him to live through you and His Spirit to be seen in you? Only letting your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ? Notice takeaway number three, as we fully surrender to Jesus, our thinking changes and we recognize the need to die to self every day. See, as we fully surrender to Jesus, we begin to see things that are going to hinder our Christian witness. We begin to see things that are going to hinder us from from reflecting Christ. Our mind changes about those things. Those things which at one time were funny are now repulsive. Those things that I once took pleasure in, now I have no desire for it. Amen? Our thinking changes as we surrender and follow His will. As we yield to the Spirit of God and do as He says for us to do. Three crosses. Everybody comes to the first one. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your salvation. Will you receive that gift? 
And if this morning you say, Pastor Philip, I've received the the gift of eternal life. I've received uh, his forgiveness. I know I'm saved. Then you come to the second cross. Surrender. Have you fully surrendered your life to God? Not saying Jesus is my co-pilot. Not little Christian cliches, putting a fish on your, on your trunk or anything like that. I'm talking about fully, really, truly surrender. Where you're not just saying He's Lord and doing what you want. But you really surrender. Some of our young people just went to youth conference last week and They were challenged to surrender their lives, to live their lives for Jesus Christ. But you know what? Teens aren't the only ones that need to do that. As adults, we need to set the example. Parents, you want your teenagers to live for God? You want your children to live for God? Are you? You want them to surrender to Jesus? Have you? You want their lives to reflect Jesus Christ? Does yours? Fully surrender. Put yourself on the cross of surrender today and say, Lord, here's my life. I've tried to be in control for too long. It's yours. Will you, will you do that today? Then we come to the third cross, the cross of sanctification. Lord, I know that there are things in my life that are not pleasing unto you whether it's habits or thoughts or even some entertainment or language or whatever, attitudes, whatever it may be. Lord, would you sanctify and cleanse me? Would you show me those things so I can confess it as sin and and follow your leadership to not be involved in those things anymore? Because I want to reflect Jesus Christ. This morning, all of us need to be on the cross. The cross of sanctification and and surrender. Maybe some need to trust what Jesus did on the cross of salvation for you. But whatever your need is today, I want to invite you to come.